Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast, bonus episode number two of five with Indy's seed team, as we're going to be talking a little bit more today with Julie Downing uh, and also Kim Snyder about some of the work that they're getting a chance to do, particularly on the topic of teacher retention and recruitment. And so I'm always grateful. I want to get a chance to talk with Julie and Kim. Uh, and so for those that have not had a chance to hear either of you in the like three or four podcasts that we've done up to this point in time, brief introductions, and then let's get into I don't know, the backstory behind this conversation today and some of the stats and the data. We'll start with Julie. Hey, thanks for having us back. So I'm Julie Downing. I work out at ESU 13 in the Panhandle, and I get to share part of my time in partnership with NDE on the SEED team and educator effectiveness. And I'm Kim Snyder, and I've been at the Department of Education for eight years now, and I'm the Director of Teacher and Principal Support, and I get the privilege of working with our colleague Ryan Rickenbaugh and Julie almost on the daily, and it's phenomenal. And your work is in Nebraska. Uh, we design our own principal and teacher effectiveness standards, uh, and so you all are having these conversations about what it looks like to, to do a great job in those spaces uh, on a daily basis. Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting when you say educator effectiveness at the Department of Education. That just hits on so many different areas of what the department does. And so it's a huge bucket of work, not all of which the seed team is actually involved in. We do, like you said, we spend a lot of our time around the Nebraska teacher and principal performance standards and ensuring that we're putting support and development options in front of folks and just helping coordinate that across the state with our friends from ESUs and higher ed and districts. Um, But there is a small part of what we do, and that is a federal requirement, actually. The federal government asks that every state once a year completes a teacher vacancy survey. So that is one part of teacher recruitment and retention that does hit our office. And so we put out a survey every year and we ask all public school superintendents and private school administrators and ESUs to fill it out because ESUs, you know, provide things like speech pathologists and things like that for districts. And so they also need to show when they have vacancies. So we do have that data every year. I do have a little bit of data to share with you today. First of all, I want to thank all of the administrators and ESU folks who fill those surveys out. This is such important data, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do that. So last year when COVID hit in 2020, the data was not real good at all because hardly anybody filled it out. It was just not not enough, not enough data. So we did a comparison between the 2019 survey results and the 2021 survey results, because in 2019, we had 78% of the respondents fill it out. And in 2021, we had 74%. So it's very comparable. In 2019, out of the 78% of the folks who filled it out, we had 321 unfilled positions. And in 2021, we had 482 positions unfilled. So from 321 back in 2019 to 482 this year. So that's a little startling. Also in 2019, most of the respondents said that they hired a person who holds a provisional permit to fill their their unfilled positions. In 2021, 
the big response was they didn't fill the position at all, which tells you right there that the personnel may or may not be there. And um, so we're definitely working on it as a seed team. We're not only making sure that we're inserting ourselves in recruitment conversations at the department and with our partners at the higher ed level, because they've done some innovative things, but also to continue to talk about that retention and how do we focus on the folks that we have and ensure that we're providing them with the opportunities to feel successful and be successful and keep them there. And I love that mindset and approach, uh, knowing the two of you just personally, that you're optimistic, that you are out there looking to take care of educators and move our collective education community in Nebraska forward uh, and our advocates for that, right? And so it's not just something we're talking about on a podcast. I know recently in NSEA's uh, magazine this past month, The Voice, you wrote an article titled Focusing on Why Teachers Stay to emphasize that positive, right? To like, let's say, okay, well, um, there are reasons to leave. And that's always been the case. Um, but then what are the things that sit in opposition to that and to bring it into balance and to look at that like for and against almost if we wanted to really just uh, pare that down. And so having not had the opportunity, I'll just be candid to read this article uh, in depth. Uh, Julie, will you tell us a little bit about that a synopsis would be really great. Yeah. So I think Kim's done a good job with the summary of the data that, you know, teacher recruitment retention is a priority. That's pretty startling data that we have. And, you know, you don't have to look very far on social media or anywhere else to see all of the people that are leaving the profession. And so you're right. We kind of took the angle of, okay, so why are people staying? Because there are people staying, choosing to stay and doing great work. And so what are those conditions and how do we create more of that? And so we dug a little into the research. We found uh, there's an author, Susan Moore Johnson, who writes about how to thrive in a school system. And... The, the number one thing that she points to is this idea of a match and a fit that as a teacher, you know, you're building a life and a career around a community. And one of the reasons that people stay is because they have a good match and a good fit in their community. For example, one of the reasons I'm on this team is because of my expertise and my experience in rural education. That's where I fit. I like small towns. I like small communities. I like small schools. I like being in a place where I can take my dog for a walk and find three people that will visit with me and know the name of my dog. So I think that that really jumped off the pages to us that we are a very diverse state and creating conditions where our schools are really marketing what they have to offer teachers in that match and that fit. Secondly, and you've heard us talk about this a lot, the idea that educators feel like they belong and that their voice is heard, that they have some autonomy and some voice in the systems where they serve, even over a paycheck and, and benefits, because yes, we need that. But more important to teachers was this match and this idea of belonging and having some voice. And then finally, we found support for helping teachers grow and become effective educators and systems that support teachers effectively retain teachers. And there's a little nuance that that support and development has to be perceived by the teachers as supportive and developmental. So there's sometimes a disconnect on that with the context and culture in schools. So it was an interesting article to write and to really kind of identify that, you know, we do worry about money, we do worry about benefits, but there are really some conditions that we do control that we can build for teachers. I loved when we got into some of the John Hattie and, and his wife wrote an article and they called the culture more additive than punitive. 
And that's really what teachers are looking for is a culture that supports them and it feels like support. You know, we talk to a lot of administrators and one of the things that the administrators are saying that they're hearing is when new teachers coming out of college and they are interviewing, their first question to the administrators is, what can this district do to support me? Or what will this school do to support me? And a lot of those administrators said it hasn't been that way up until the last couple of years. So I think it's it gives us a, a good call to action to really help us know how we can support each other. So. Well, okay. Two things with this, because my mind's all buzzed as we're having this conversation. I always have so much fun on the podcast because it's an opportunity to do that. Uh, One, I don't know if this is intentional or unintentional or subconscious, but as I look through this list, which includes belonging, having a voice, feeling supported, and having the opportunity to grow, uh, the same thing is true of our students, right? And so if we can even frame that in terms of how we would like to best support the kids in which we serve, it, it certainly emulates that. And we've always known that the best things that we try to do on behalf of the education of our students are also great practices to try to apply in professional development sense for our staff and recognize those in that capacity as well. Go ahead, Kim. And the, the same is true, not only for our students. I think that's a great observation, Andrew. You're right. It is the same for our students. It's the same for our staff. And it's the same for ESU personnel, and it's the same for higher ed personnel, and it's the same for NDE personnel. You know, my husband and I go on a lot of walks. Uh, He teaches in an incredibly difficult school. Uh, It's a very high need school here in the LPS district. And it's difficult because they have a lot of turnover every year. So he's only been there four years, but he's already one that has one of the most seniority there. And he's of retirement age. And so as we walk to just debrief education every night, we talk about why does he stay? Because he could, he could leave. He could, and you know, when COVID hit, that, that was a conversation that we had one night when he came home and said, I can't do this anymore. But he stays because he really feels like he's making a difference there. He feels valued. He's a fit for those kids who need somebody who's going to commit And he's committed and he always has been that way. But I don't think that anybody has specifically said to him, why do you stay? But what they have done is they have supported him in the things that he has gone when he's advocated for his students. They have said absolutely. And they've made him feel like he's very welcome there. Both the students do and his administration does. So we talk about that a lot. And I I even talk about my position at the NDE. You know, I got skills. I could I could go do something else, but I really like where I am. I feel very supported. I feel committed to the work and the direction that the NDE is going around advocating for students and teachers and administrators across Nebraska. And I have the wonderful ability to grow in my position. I'm encouraged to get coaching because that's why wouldn't anybody encourage anybody to do coaching? And so it's, it's just a very formative environment, which is, is so incredibly thankful. So if anybody ever asked me why I stay, that's what I'd say. I think that was the fun part of doing the research for this article was, you know, digging into it. You start to think about your own stories. Like, why did I take this job and why am I here and why do I stay? And we all have them. And I think We just wanted to shine a light on how many great teachers are out there that are staying for all of these great reasons. And I I remember when I came to ESU 13 
15 years ago. And I think in my head, I was thinking, well, I'm going to leave a district for a while and do this for a year or two till I can go back and, you know, do a principal or become a superintendent or, you know, something else. And someone said to me um, in the first year I was there, yeah, people say that. And then they stay a lifetime. And as it turns out, now I'm in my 15th year at ESU 13 because of all the things that we researched and found. And because of the things that Kim talked about. And I mean, it's an environment where I get to grow, people respect my voice, and I have a lot of impact on some really great things for kids and teachers. And like Kim said, it's a place where innovative ideas come along, like, hey, could we partner with you and use Julie on our seed team? And it's an agency that says, yeah, let's figure that out. So I think there's there's a lot of good reasons that people are staying and we just want to elevate those, those conditions and say, how do we get more of that and add a little hope to counter the, the TikTok great resignation of our profession right now? So why do you stay, Andrew? What's your story? <laughs> you know, I actually just would even zoom out to this specific endeavor and say, why do I spend time every week working on a podcast? Well, I'll tell you, because we do belong and it's good to get those voices out. And I hear from people all the time that as they're driving to their next location, they listen in to someone who's down the road or somebody that's in the next state over or somewhere else in education who's fighting a good fight on behalf of the things that they also care about. And being able to just have that little 20, 30 minute window of time every week to know they're not alone in the things that they're fighting for is um uh, it's inspiring. It's reassuring and, and the chance to elevate voices. So let's kind of play off the second one, right? This is an opportunity to do that. And I'm grateful that we have the space and that I can play a small part in trying to get that out to folks. Uh, and it's support and development, right? It's support through like these conversations and it's hopefully a learning opportunity as you know, I get the statistics on the back end. It's crazy how many people from all over the country and even other countries are listening into our Nebraska conversations too. So that's been a lot of fun. And uh, you know, I would even zoom in here a little bit more specific and say, okay, uh, for these three, because I'm a practitioner at heart, right? So if, uh, we're going to think about this in terms of teachers in particular with retention. Uh, can we get a strategy or two, or what does it look like to support? And we'll kind of run through these in order. We'll start with the first one, belonging voice, and then support and development. So when I say that with regards to belonging, what's one example? I think some strategies there would be your new teacher induction and your, your mentoring programs, helping the new folks. You know, you think about when you were all first, te- first year teachers and who was that teacher who took you under their wing and helped you understand all the nuances of everything that was happening within that building and, and who to go to for what I think back in my own situation. If I had not had Joanne Friesen to help me my first year at Bradshaw, I probably would have made it, but boy, it would have been a lot more difficult. She was just as kind and sweet and helpful as could be and made me understand that district enough that made me feel like I belonged. And I think that's kind of what it takes. And I would even press into that further and say that I would imagine, but probably not every district has this, but I would think most try to have a mentor, but the degree to which you promote those relationships, having the space and time within the day to really grow beyond just a checklist of things to get done uh, would be a part of this as well, right? So there's, there's the program, then there's the intentional building out of that in a way that does allow people to feel connected. Uh, and I, as a first and second year teacher, uh, I so looked up to Greg Welch, who was my mentor teacher whenever I was in Kansas. But it took, though, me going to his classroom and observing him in unscheduled times 
for me to really understand just how amazing of an educator that he was uh, and to even understand the questions that I should have been asking when I was too naive and busy to figure it out. And so I, I do think that the why can be there and even the systems, but, but that how is something that leaders really can um, enhance. I would also say that in regards to my mentor, Joanne, I'm not sure that there was anything systematic or systemic about it. I think she probably was just that nice enough to just see that I was fumbling around a little bit and stepped in and assisted me. So I think that's a, a lesson that we can learn that we can't always rely on the goodness of people to step in and, and help out. We need to be real intentional with that. And obviously, teachers are just good-hearted people for the most part. And so somebody's going to step in and assist, but we can't just assume that that's going to happen. We want to make sure that it's happening for everybody. It's, it's funny because you go through a career, you kind of find out, you know, kind of what you're good at and what you like. And I knew pretty early on that I really liked curriculum and I really liked organizing things. And I have a lot of discipline about, you know, putting together systems and I found a lot of support and development in being on teams and committees that did that kind of work. Um, it was interesting to me. It kind of played to my strengths and it's kind of counterintuitive, but I'm up here in an office at Chadron State by myself, but I'm very much part of the professional learning team out of ESU 13, where we have deep respect and voice in everything we're doing. And even though the seed team is largely a virtual professional effort, we're very much a team. And, you know, on this campus, because I went to college here and I'm an alumni here, every once in a while, I'll just walk through the ed department on my way home and just pop in and say hi to people. And, you know, I don't work for them, but I'm kind of part of that team because we do support the student teaching interns that come out of Shadron State College. And there's just a lot to be said for that kind of connection to feel like you have people who see you and know you and appreciate you. And we all want that. Absolutely. We all want that. And so maybe to distill some of what I'm hearing down, I guess it would be to say that it's everything from mentors to PLCs to teams to the intentional efforts to make space for those to run optimally in support of professional learning for both, right? I do think that there's something also to be said for the veteran teacher to learn from having to go back to kind of square one and feeling connected to the energy that comes from that person who is just getting started for the first time and being able to impart knowledge and, and those kind of pieces. You know, as I work with districts through the accreditation process, the continuous improvement process, and work with them on their external visits, I've led quite a few visits over the years. And one of the big problems some districts have when I say, what's your district profile? Try to put into words what your district profile is. And a lot of times they struggle. And a lot of times that district profile turns into just student data, which, you know, student data is very necessary and fantastic. But if there was a little bit more intentional focus on teacher and principal data, and why they stay, I think about how much easier it would be for districts to be able to explain what makes teachers feel like they belong in their district. I think really it ties to their continuous improvement and what data they're looking at and how they're verbalizing that data. Even before, I mean, that's for recruitment as well, not just retention, but what story is that district telling about their district to make people want to look. And if, if all they have is, well, our students do really well at this. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. And I'm really happy that they have that data. But what data can they use 
about their teachers and principals to really make somebody go, you know what, that sounds like a team I'd really like to be on. I don't think people think about educator effectiveness data in that way very often. Would you say that almost factors into voice by being able to give those avenues with which you're obtaining that feedback, right? I mean, that's what that, that essentially is, is to recognize, and, but this gets back to Julie and I've talked about before, you can ask the question, you can hear what they're saying, but then you actually have to do something with it. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's a big piece too, right? Is my favorite Andrew Easton quote ever. We can ask different questions, but we have to want different answers, something like that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. We have lots of processes in schools and in systems that don't allow to have educator voice. You know, if you have a goal setting system that says all the teachers have to set their goals on the school improvement process, period, that's not conducive to teachers saying, well, I really am interested in fill in the blank and I would like to really work towards some more effective skills on that. There's really a lot of room to elevate voice and help people with their own growth. Because teachers, like Kim said, not only are they generally really great humans, but they are learners and will continue to learn their whole career as they become more and more effective. And again, being incredibly intentional about knowing how teacher voice and principal voice, how that's allowed throughout the system. So like I said, we talked to a lot of districts and we were talking to a principal who was moving on to another position. And that principal had been principal there for several years and was highly effective and did not have a lot of turnover at all. So when we press that principal on what is it that you do that makes people want to stay because they're staying and that principal did not have an answer. It's just people just want to be here, but it had to have something to do with that principal's leadership. So when we pushed a little bit harder and said, but that needs to be somehow identified so that when you leave, then it doesn't just fall off the ledge and people start leaving along with you. And the principal said, well, hopefully they'll get somebody that can do what I do. And I hope isn't enough. You know, that 50-50 chance isn't enough, especially when things are going so well there. And I would hate for those teachers who are staying there to then be impacted by somebody who may not be able to hear their voice the way that the previous principal had done. So just being intentional about it, I think is probably the most important part. I think there's some strategies coming out of our higher ed systems too. I know our campus here is going to have future educators on campus next week. Some of our local high schools are going to bring kids in. And I know educator rising groups across our state are doing events like that. And I think I think it's important that as people in the profession, we speak professionally and positively about why we do stay, those of us who are still here, because there is a lot of hope in some of these young ones coming out. Well, and I do think we're going to have to capitalize upon that energy from some of those new teachers. And I know this is something that, and we don't need to necessarily take too much of a bird walk with this topic, Julie, but, but we've discussed it as well. We're losing a lot of institutional knowledge with the teachers who are retiring over the course of this time, who've not had the window to impart that wisdom during uh, hangout sessions in the teacher's lounge or people coming in and watching their class because of some of the different restrictions we had during the uh, pandemic learning scenarios. And coupled with that, I mean, let's just be honest, like we heard the statistics, people have left. And so how do we capitalize upon the knowledge that is still there from those passionate educators who do care and are working their tails off doing the best they can to cover classes, uh, but also still be a part of a learning community? 
And at the same time, welcome in Gen Z, who uh, brings with them a certain perspective on technology and its integration and how learning can happen outside of the classroom and should influence the work that we're doing on a regular basis inside. Uh, and so I think that that kind of gets a little bit to that third place that we're talking about here, support and development. And I love that uh, this conversation has teased those two words apart from one another. And so uh, as we maybe explore these in detail, um, talk to that maybe if we can, uh, why those are different uh, and what it might look like to do one and do the other. Yeah, we, we talk about the difference on this quite often. And we hope that uh, someday we can make sure that we've teased these out enough that people understand it. Cause we truly, we talk about it all the time, but when you, I think when we first, when we first started, it was just like, it was one word support and development. Yep. You know, like when Andrew Easton says my name, Julie Downing, it's just one word. Just one word. Um, and, a, and there was a moment, you know, a couple months into the development of the seed team where we said, we really should probably define those. Like, what do we mean when we say those? And, and so we did. So that's actually another, an earlier article that we wrote for the, the voice. But when we think about support, we talk about the supports that teachers need, and that is more student facing. So what support do they need to be able to handle classroom management? What support do they need to dive into new curricular materials? Those kinds of things. But when you think about development, that's outward facing. What can you do as a district to support that teacher so that they can grow as a professional and as an individual and actually grow in their profession? And I think about when I first started teaching, and then I think about my last position and how much more I knew. It wasn't just that I'd grown in classroom management. It wasn't just because I'd grown more in my ability to teach Hamlet. What I grew in was as a colleague and as a teacher leader. And I grew more in my confidence in my ability to do my position. So those are the kinds of things that development needs to be able to encourage. We also talk about with development many times comes from the outside. And this is actually going to be our next NSCA article. So just a little sneak peek into that is that we all probably need to open ourselves up to the outside a little bit. And, and when I say outside, I don't just mean outside of the school building or the building where you're in. You know, outside could mean that a teacher opens themselves up to some personal reflection that brings them into contact with some true reflection that are some ideas that maybe make them feel a little bit vulnerable, but then they, they confront those feelings and they really reflect and think, well, what could I change to make this better for my students or for myself? From the outside could mean something like coaching. Could also come from, you think about accreditation visits when those external teams come in and give just a snapshot of an outsider looking in. Those are the types of things that districts who really want to develop as a district and as individuals within that district, those are the types of things that they engage in. And, and again, those are just examples. You know, there's so many different other things, you know, peer observation. That, that's another outsider looking in, just giving you a different perspective. And development many times is reliant on that outside looking in type of thing. And, opening yourself up to things that maybe you don't want to hear, 
or maybe things that you do want to hear and you're excited to tackle. That's what development is. And so you can tell as much as I talked about development, that's where I wish more focus would be. I understand support. We've got a lot of folks that need support out there. We can't forget about the development. And if we're doing the development right, sometimes things that we might need to support them on might go away because they might be growing as individuals. Okay. And so I love that you ended on that because I was about to bring up, and this is maybe just a nerdy English teacher in me, but this sounds like we could also say like grounded and growing, like where where you grounded, where you're growing and then play off the seed thing. Right. And so you are where you're planted. And so your support comes from where your roots are. Uh, But then when you think about growing, that's typically as a result of it raining or sun shining on you as a plant. Right. So that's the opportunity to push through and to push past and to evolve. Right. We've, right, we've got so, Andrew, we've got Andrew speaking in agricultural analogies. So he's now like a adjunct uh, seed team member. Right, I, think, and I'm thinking, I think development is almost a retention strategy, right? Because as people grow and move through a career, you know, when I came out, I was just going to be a kindergarten teacher for 40 years. And then I had some kids of my own and decided, oh, small people all day long, 24 seven is a little too much. I might want to do a different job in education. And every time I changed, then I went and did curriculum and assessment. And every time I changed, I, I loved what I got to do that was new. And I loved the learning curve into a different angle of education. So I think as a strategy, we need to create conditions for when people are finding themselves burnt out where they're planted, find what you love and what your passion is and find a different space to be in education in that same arena. So we grow and develop. Teaching is about becoming as much as it is about serving. I absolutely love that. I read a, I'm going to botch because I don't know who to reference for this, but I read a, like a scholarly article on this whole idea. And, and again, not trying to do the toxic positivity thing. It's not where I'm going, but just saying situationally, this is like, this happens where you get burnout and then you stop doing the fun extra things that take more time. And so then it's called bore out. And they actually like have, and you get so Mm -hmm. bored and frustrated that because there isn't uh, that I should, we're talking about here, that development piece, the opportunity to grow. They're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how this is going to work, but let's try it. (laughs) Like energy that if you don't have, it's hard to, you know, muster up because the level of intentionality and time that that typically takes. And so I, I certainly am not trying to diminish anyone who feels burnt out. And I do recognize there's a lot of things working against those things right now, but that also doesn't uh, take away from the reality that for some people, uh, that is an essential piece to uh, what we're talking about here today, retention. And the more that that can be how a culture operates, um, you certainly would be able to recruit folks to that type of culture. Uh, And so I love that we're having these conversations about that kind of stuff here, uh, as we maybe pivot a little bit to recruitment. And so, yeah, uh, Kim, would you like to speak to that a little bit? Well, I know that districts have openings. You know, if I were a superintendent and I had the opportunity to hire somebody, but I I wasn't quite sure what rules would allow, I thought maybe I could just use this podcast to just maybe just talk just for two seconds about maybe some rules that might be helpful for either new superintendents or folks who are wondering how to fill some positions. Maybe take a look at some of the NDE rules that are on the NDE website and maybe you could answer your own questions. I don't know, but it's, it's possible. So like rule 24, that's about all the endorsements and what the certification requirements are. Rule 21, that's all the certification rules. And that'll show you what people need to have in order to get a career permit or a substitute permit or anything like that, or substitutes license. Uh, rule 10, 
that provides all of the different options you have for how to fill those positions and, and how to have them teach. So whether it's distance learning or what opportunities you have there. And then there's a staff reporting document on the website that actually shows you if you give somebody that job, then what certification are they gonna need in order to be able to do that job? So if, if you can't find those on the NDE website, give me a call and I can, I'll can i send you a PDF copy of those, but I certainly would be willing to help people out with those if they if they need those. Cause I know they're, they're in a situation now in a lot of places, so. Well, I love that you referenced distance learning there. And I know that's sort of bailiwick of the job title that I have, but. I'm certainly going to take the opportunity to reference that. There are just so many places where it is incredibly challenging to attract, let's say, a Chinese teacher, right? Like mm-hmm. someone to teach that as a, as a language. So through our distance learning to have a Nebraska certified teacher that is somewhere that is piping into a live classroom of students. And what's tough is there's been so many terms that have been floated around recently about distance learning, remote learning, online learning. They're not synonymous and there are different nuances to how that looks in our state. And I've had a chance to go to some of the places that are receiving courses where 30 students are in a classroom with a teacher that pipes in from elsewhere. And you're never going to replace that in-classroom teacher as being the optimal quality experience. I'm just going to say that. But I will say, too, that to not have the experience at all is a greater detriment. Uh, and so I hope that as you know, there's been a lot of turnover recently and if people have forgotten that those services are out there, reach out. That'd be really great to uh, continue to grow those. I have been in conversation today about um, some, sending some more courses for those types of situational needs uh, to make sure that students have a really robust curriculum, particularly at the secondary level. I'm getting on a high horse. You need to calm <laughs> me down. Somebody better walk I, me back here real quick. But I, I, I think it's I think it's a factor, though, in this conversation. I had the privilege of listening to Secretary of Education Cardona speak last week. And the one quote that stuck in my mind is if we look back in a year and we're doing school the way we did it pre-pandemic, then we haven't learned. And I thought that that was so poignant because, I mean, we've, we've been talking innovation for a long time, but I also know that I personally sometimes think, oh my gosh, if we could just go back to normal, but that's not what our kids need. And that's not what our teachers need. And the fact that we have so many teachers and principals that are leaving their positions, that, that tells us right there, that's not what we need to do. So as hard as it's going to be, we need to keep going with the innovation. Absolutely. And so we always have such a good chat. (laughs) I feel like I got to maybe kind of bring it a little bit to a close here and say, um, if we had to have a call to action, right? So if we had to uh, just leave a bit of a parting message for those listening into this, uh, what would you leave them with? If somebody comes to your school and says, why do your folks stay at your school? Be able to have an answer, have that answer, have that conversation with the adults in your building and let them know that the reasons they stay are the same things that you're going to utilize to ensure that all of the newcomers feel like they belong as well. Yeah, I think it's it's all connected. And you kind of highlighted that for us earlier when we have teachers who are regulated and well, and they have voice and choice and autonomy, so are their students. And that's really the end game is that we want well-regulated, healthy students who come out of our schools ready to earn and learn and serve. And it's, it's systemic. It's all connected. 
I, I absolutely love that well-regulated piece. And I don't mean to throw another like point in here as we're <laughs> like bringing this to a close, but, but yes, I, I love that thought of ha- have your building goal for your staff that we're all collectively invested in. have your personal professional goal that you have as your development, right? Your piece to grow in this profession. But uh, I'm in particularly intrigued of, could you systematize just a personal goal for, if you want to call it wellness, fine, but just a way for you to make sure that you're doing the things to take care of yourself. And how could you go embed that within the rhythms of what you're doing and make it a selling point, right? Like, hey, we like take care of our teachers. And so many of these conversations just converge when I even think to the Hope podcast we did not too long ago. And so it would certainly point to all those as just an ongoing dialogue around the efforts being made. Uh, to step into this space because we care. And so I'm thankful to both of you for uh, sharing with big hearts and and with your time, effort and energy on a regular basis. You know, we just get a little window into that uh, through these opportunities. But I know you're out there on the front lines trying to be the change that we need to see in education. And I'm sure really grateful to both of you when you get a chance to advocate here and and, and always. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yes, for sure. Yeah. We kind of we'll... like you too. <laughs> just a little bit. Hey. Except for when you beat us at Cornhole. <laughs> that was uh that was pretty fun that was pretty fun time we'll, we'll get a rematch that i'm sure sometime soon but uh, uh grudge match not a rematch grudge yeah. match. <laughs> you're going down buddy let's get it oh uh, well thank you so much for joining us again today we'll have three more of these bonus seed podcasts that'll come out between now and july uh, and so look forward to those installments moving forward uh and so until next time we'll see you later